So we have been journeying through what's called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. We have four stories of the life of Jesus called Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew portrays Jesus in a particular way. And in that, part of it, what he does is he gives us one of Jesus' longest sermons, what we call Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And so we've been traveling through that and looking at what Jesus is calling people to hear. And part of it is this message where Jesus has come and called to people and said, repent. In other words, your life needs to turn completely around. You need to reorient. You need to redirect. Because the kingdom of God, God's rule, God's reign, God's change, God's rescue is coming. And so then as Jesus spells it out in Matthew 5 through 7, he begins to describe what life in this kingdom looks like. How it, what it means to look like to respond to this call of Jesus. He begins with what we know as the Beatitudes, or blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. And it's this picture of how God comes to the least and the unlikely. And his grace, his deliverance comes before that. But it's also an invitation for us to change and respond to God's kingdom. And last week we looked at the words of Jesus where he looks at his followers and says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, a call to be distinct a call to be different, a call to beckon and to beacon people to God's amazing love. But also that call to live differently. And so then we come to this part in Matthew 5 through 17 through 20 that we looked at, that Jim just read for us a little bit earlier. And so we remember, first of all, Jesus is speaking to Israelites. He's speaking to the Jewish people, to the people of God. And they've got a story that they've heard from the time they've grown up, a story that goes back thousands of years where God has called a particular people, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, to be a special people. He calls Abraham and he says, through you the nations on earth will be blessed. And then Abraham's family grows and they end up in slavery in Egypt and God brings them out of slavery in Egypt and then brings them to this mountain. And at this mountain called Sinai, he gives them a set of commandments. He gives them laws and he makes a covenant, an agreement with them. And then he says to them, you are a kingdom of priests, a special people. And he's telling the people of God, he's telling the people of Israel that they are to live in a distinct and different way from the rest of the world. And by that way of living, to draw people to him. And part of that distinctive way of living is called the law or the commandments. And so you probably know at least a few of those. There's at least 10 that maybe you can think of, 10 that are kind of famous ones. Make the top. There's 603 others. So total is about 613 commands or laws, depending on how you count them. Most of us know 10, and that's pretty good. We'll, we'll stick with those. But these are the law. These are the description that God gives to his people of how they're to live. And they were foundational, fundamental, important to who they were. It was part of their identity as the people of God. And so when Jesus begins here in verse 17, he's calling them to do something. He's speaking to them about the way of living life. And a couple of things, one other background thing we need to think about is Jesus' Bible was not our Bible. We kind of think of the Bible as just as this big thing. When in the day of Jesus, first of all, they didn't have codexes or what we call a book. The books of the Bible as we know them would have been on, found on scrolls. And there would have been a bunch of different scrolls. There was not one big scroll with all the things on it because that would have been like a super, super long scroll. 
and really hard to work with. But they would have had these individual scrolls and kind of a library of these things. And as they're reading this, we look at what Jesus is saying about these things. And about, we're not going to be able to answer all the questions about it. But one of the things that we know is when Jesus talked about the Old Testament, or what we know as the Old Testament, he often referred to it as the Torah or the, and the prophets. And we'll say a little bit more about that. And so what Jesus invites us to do, and so what we're going to do today is look at the passage that was read earlier and think about two things. How we read our Bible and how we follow Jesus. And so in a sense, there's, short, there's a short passage with four statements in it. We're going to look at each of those and then kind of think through what they mean for us today on how we read our Bible and how we follow Jesus. So we're going to begin Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. And Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so when he says, don't think I've come to abolish them, there must have been some people who thought that. There must have been some rumor going on that Jesus was tossing out this Torah, these commandments. But if you read and follow what Jesus says, he doesn't seem to ever do that. Maybe it's the sense that he reoriented him. And what does he mean by the law or the prophets? The law or the prophets was kind of how they divided. So if you were to look in a Hebrew Bible, it's arranged a little bit differently than our English Bible. And there were sections in it. There's the law, which is what we call the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Which contains the stories of creation and these stories, but also these laws or commandments given to God's people. And it's called the Torah, which we often translate as law, but maybe better translated as instruction or teaching. And then there were the prophets. And we, th we know those are the stories of like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, these prophets who spoke for God and also contained some of the history books. And then there were the writings. And so when Jesus says the law or the prophets, he's talking about all of the Hebrew scripture. It's kind of a way of saying, we're talking about all of this. He's saying, I haven't come to get rid of that. I'm not setting it aside, but I'm fulfilling it. Which is an interesting way. He said, Jesus is saying, I didn't come to get rid of all that old stuff. I'm not coming and just saying, all that old stuff is gone. Instead, I've come to fulfill it. And so the big question for us is, what does it mean? What does he mean by fulfilling it? And Matthew has already used this word a couple times earlier in his story as he's telling about the birth of Jesus. He talks about the birth of Jesus. And he, he says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And later in 2.15, he says, when Jesus and his family are called out of Egypt, it says, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. And so in some way we can see how a prophet can be fulfilled. There's this story that's told, maybe a prediction that's made, and Jesus fulfills that. And that makes sense to us. And we think of a prediction. But what can we possibly mean by fulfilling the law? It's one thing to say he fulfills a prediction, but what about the Torah? And I think what he's getting at is that he's fulfilling it in the sense of bringing it to completion. What Jesus is saying is all of those stories, all of those laws, all of those commands, the poetry, everything that came before, the law, the prophets, the writings, pointed towards something. And when Jesus comes, he's saying, now what it was pointing towards is completed. It's fulfilled. 
In other words, what he's saying is all of the stories of the Old Testament, all of it, it's coming true. It's being fulfilled in me. Or as Scott McKnight says it, he says, look to Jesus as its central story. When we look at the Old Testament, it's all these stories, but they're all pointing forward to something else and they're fulfilled. They come, they find their completion, their fulfillment in Jesus. We're going to come back and see how he worked a little bit more about how he does that in a minute. But then he goes on and he says this, for truly I tell you, heaven and earth dis will disappear, not this until, sorry, we'll start over. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And so what Jesus wants to get, he's like, I'm not just throwing it out. And there have been people throughout the history of the church who just, and when I say history of the church, I mean up until current times, I've met people who just like, I just get rid of the Old Testament. We don't need that. What? It's called the Old Testament, right? I mean, we like new. Nobody wants the old stuff. And so we just like, oh, let's get rid of it. Jesus saying is no. He says, until heaven and earth disappear, until the end of all things, when the new heaven and earth disappear, he says, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen. And what does he mean by that? How many of you have a King James Bible with you? Do you remember the, the King James, how that, how that reads? It's not the least jot or tittle, right? What, what in the world is he talking about? He's talking about in the Hebrew Bible and in the Hebrew letter system, these smallest letters. And so the jot would be this letter called Yod, which just, it looks like an apostrophe almost, just this tiny little stroke. And a tittle is just these tiny little differences. So if, if you look at a Hebrew alphabet, there's some of the letters where the only difference is a tiny little stroke at the bottom of the letter to distinguish between the two letters. What we would call in maybe modern English a serif. Those little extra things added on to it. And so he's saying, not even the least little stroke, not even the least little pen mark will disappear. So do you think Jesus is saying we toss it all out? Not at all. I mean, he's saying, he's saying not even a little stroke. Every little letter, every little bit matters. And nothing of it will be tossed out. In other words, he's saying it's permanent, but we have to read it in light of Jesus and how he teaches. Now, does that mean there aren't tensions involved with that? Absolutely not. I mean, even as the early church began, they had tensions, they had questions about what do we do with all these commands? Because when Jesus launched this movement, when he invited people into the kingdom, who were most of the people that were following him? Jewish people, right? Who knew the law, they lived the law. But then the church begins to expand and it goes out to what we call the Gentiles, the nations, who knew nothing about that. And so then questions arose. Well, do they have to follow the law? How does that fit? And so the book of Acts, Paul's letters all deal with these tensions. We're not going to deal with all of those today because they're a huge topic. But the point is that he's getting at it and he's saying, we have to read the Old Testament in light of Jesus and how he teaches and then Jesus goes on in verse 19 to say how important it is. He says, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches, the, teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So we've heard that Jesus fulfills the Torah or fulfills the law and the prophets and they're not to be set aside. And he's saying this and we'll see more. The Torah is permanent 
as understood through Jesus and as Jesus teaches. So not necessarily we go back, but to say through Jesus, we begin to see it. Following him means following the Torah. We don't get to pick and choose. He says, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least, he says, we don't get to go through the Bible, is what he's saying, and pick and choose what things we decide we want to follow and not. He's saying that the scripture is not a buffet. It's not a church potluck. I like potlucks, but there are some things I will just never put on my plate. I like all of your food, okay, but... <laughs> But there are certain things I just will not put on my plate. Like anything containing mayonnaise, for example. But we don't get to do that with the Bible. Is what Jesus is saying. Not the least. We don't get to go through and say, well, yeah, I like that part. No, I don't want to follow that part. Oh, yeah, that part's good. Uh, no, not that part. He's saying, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. He says, but whoever practices teaching these commands, and what does he mean by these commands? Does he, is he talking about the Torah and the prophets? Or is he talking about what he is saying right then? Both. He's saying, whoever said that we don't get to pick and choose, and we're going to be seeing in the next few weeks, we're going to get to some hard teachings of Jesus. And sometimes we want to say, well, I don't really like that. And there are times I read the teachings of Jesus, I'm like, man, that's really hard. Can I just skip that part? Well, life is like that sometimes where we're going through and we just kind of like, well, we'll skip the hard part. We were talking a number of years ago. I used to do obstacle course races uh, called the Tough Mudder. And one of the final obstacles in the Tough Mudder is this thing where they've got all these little wires hanging down that are charged with electricity. And at the end of it, after you've been running for 10, 12 miles and are covered in mud and water and stuff, you have to run through these like dangling wires and they shock you. Now, if you've done, after you've done your first one, you can bypass that obstacle. And I was like, yeah, after that first one, no, not doing that anymore. I did that once. That was fun, but no. But Jesus is saying, we don't get to bypass. We don't get to skip something just because it's hard or difficult. He says, when we do that, we're called least in the case. He's almost saying we're not even part of what he's doing when we skip those parts of it. And then he finishes it. He says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so what Jesus does is he picks the example of what the Jewish people sitting there would have thought of as the most pious, most holy people there were, the Pharisees. Now, if you've grown up in church, most of us hear the word Pharisees and we think the bad guys. We think this. But for the people of Jesus' day, these were the holy people. These were the people who followed and kept God's rules. They, that's what they lived by. They wanted to study and to learn and to know what God taught. And they wanted to live that way. They weren't seen as the bad guys in the story. They're not the black hats, the black robes. And we watched television shows and there's so many ways that television shows and movies and you notice the one the Pharisees are always wearing black and if you live in America I mean usually the guys in black are who but they're the bad guys 
a couple of problems with that. One is, historically, black fabric wasn't invented for about another thousand years or so, so the Pharisees probably didn't wear black robes. Secondly, they weren't seen as the bad guys by most people. They were seen as the examples that people looked to. They were the Mother Teresa, the Billy Grahams of the day, where people looked up to them. And so when Jesus says, unless your righteousness, unless you're living rightly following the commands of God, exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You got to be more righteous than them. Now we remember, of course, that our righteousness comes from Christ and the cross. It is under and through Christ, it is a, but it is a righteousness that is done. It involves action, and that's one of the things we see again and again in the sermons that Jesus is calling us to live differently. So we put all that together and draw it into some reflections. Like, how do we read our Bible? One is Jesus tells us that what? He fulfills the story. He completes what was anticipated in the Bible. So, first of all, Jesus is assuming, and I'm assuming now, one, that we read our Bibles. That we should be reading them regularly and, and rereading them. There are some books that I read, and I read once, and I was like, that was nice, and I put it away. In other books and novels that I have that I've read multiple times, and I read and I reread them. And one of the things that you find, even if you've read a book and you know the ending, there's still something to reading it. And one of the things that also happens is sometimes when you know how the book ends, maybe it's a murder mystery, maybe it's an adventure book, maybe it's a hero that's going on a quest, maybe it's a hero that falls. When you know the ending of the story and you go back and you reread, what happens? You see and you notice new things in the light of the ending. This happens all the time in mystery novels where all of a sudden you get the end and you're like, oh, that's who did it. And then maybe you reread the book and all of a sudden you notice, oh, there was that little clue there and that was, there was that little clue. Or you see the hero of a journey and you see where they end that story and then you go back and watch it and you see the little moments along the way that led them to that place where they concluded. And what Jesus is saying is, he is the end of the story. He is the completion of the story. And when we have that in mind, and what we need to do is keep that in mind, that Jesus, as we read through the stories of the Old Testament, as we read through those stories, we begin to see, that's what that means. That's what it's pointing to. That somehow this is pointing that way. One of my favorite a little children's Bible is called the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. And one of the subtitles for that is Every Story Whispers His Name. And it's a great picture of the way that the story of God is all these things that it's all pointing forward to in some way or another the story of Jesus. And so what Jesus invites us to do then is to read the story and read and reread in light of Jesus. So first of all, that's what Jesus invites us to do in this is to read our story and read it in light of him. But what about how we live? First of all, Jesus says not to set aside the Torah. Now we said there's the 10 big commandments, right? 
Don't murder, don't steal, don't... Anybody know any of the other 603 commands? One or two, I mean, like... No pork? Yeah, no boiling a kid in its mother milk. What are some of these things about? No shellfish, no mixing your, like, I mean, I'm, I'm wearing polycotton right now, I think. At least some of this stuff is a mixed fabric. Not supposed to do that. No cheeseburgers. Because you're not supposed to mix the meat and the milk. I mean, so if you've had a cheeseburger, anytime you've broken the Torah, if you've eaten shrimp, or bacon. You've broken the Torah. So when Jesus says, anyone who sets aside the least of these, have we set aside the commands of Torah by eating bacon? Because that's like the electroshock thing of like having to like, you mean like I've, I've got to bypass that? I've got to go through and not eat bacon? Now I'm going to bypass that one, right? And eat my bacon. But what, what is going on here is Jesus says what? That the laws of Torah are fulfilled in him. And I think what that means is when we think particularly like these purity and these kosher laws or kosher, kosher is that simply that Hebrew word that talks about these purity laws is those laws relate to purity. And if Jesus fulfills that, I think what Jesus is getting at is saying in Jesus, we find the one who makes us pure. That the purity laws are fulfilled in Jesus. Later on in the Gospel of Matthew, he has this long passage we were in chapter 15, where he talks about what comes in and what goes out. And he says, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. What comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. He's talking about what comes up from inside. He makes it clear that those laws were pointing to something but what was key was it matters what comes from the heart. What's inside that makes us clean. And so Jesus isn't saying, what he's saying is when he's fulfilled those laws, he's saying the purity that I'm calling for, the purity that was pointed to by all these commands is now fulfilled in Jesus. So you're good with your bacon and cheeseburgers. And even you can combine those two and it's really good. But in a sense, when we're talking about the law, Jesus sums it up in several places where he talks about loving God and loving others. And what we see in the weeks ahead is another lesson on how we live, remembering the story of the Bible and this kingdom of priests and the failure of God's people. Now, God doesn't give up on his people, but he makes a promise. And so as he's going through this, we're going back to that story where God called the people and he said, you're going to be my kingdom of priests. And he gave them all these commands. How well do you think they did with that? Nope, not very well. Just kind of like we don't do. And so in what sense is we're going? And so one of the great passages, I think in scripture, is found in Jeremiah chapter 31. And so this is the moment where God's people have failed to follow Jesus. They've ended up in exile. And God speaks to them this promise. Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning at verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. 
This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Knows the Lord, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And so there's this picture that Jeremiah paints of a time in the future, looking back, so this is God's people in exile six, seven hundred years before Jesus. He's saying there's a time coming when God will do something different. He's going to make a new covenant. And notice he doesn't set aside the Torah, just like Jesus does. He doesn't set aside the Torah. But what does he say he's going to do? He's going to write it on their hearts. So they're not going to simply be trying to follow an external command, but it's going to be something that comes from inside of them. There's going to be as Dallas Willard titles the book, A Renovation of the Heart. A change to the way we live. And I think this is what Jesus is getting at here. In a sense, as Jesus, we read the words of Jesus, he calls us to something even higher. And that's in the next five weeks, as we look at these sayings of Jesus, Jesus is going to take some of those commands and make them even harder. He's going to redefine them and make them even harder. He doesn't set aside the Torah, but he explains its depths. And he's saying it's not simply external, but it's something internal. And he invites us to a righteousness that seems impossible. Kind of like Jesus when he said, what? Our righteousness, what? Must exceed that of who? The Pharisees and the scribes of the law. People who lived their life, who devoted their life to following, we've got to be better than them. We've got to be more righteous than them. Most of them think, man, I can't do that. And Jesus is saying, yeah, in a sense, you're right. Until we have what God does in the words of grace. Because you go back to that passage, Jeremiah 31. How do we get the new heart? It says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. So who's doing the work? God is. God is changing it. Or parallel passage almost in Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 25 I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh this is God at work in us and that's what Jesus is doing he's saying I've come to do something I'm not setting aside those commands I'm calling you and I'm fulfilling it. And Jesus is fulfilling this exact thing. And I think this is what he's getting at. So let's put that story together. God gives commands for people to live differently. They're not able to do it on their own. Jesus comes and says, I, I am fulfilling it. He fulfills the law by one, by obeying it, but also by creating a way for it to be written on our hearts. And well, how does he do that? He dies for us. Our sins are forgiven. And then he sends a Holy Spirit to empower us to live the right way. He changes us and writes it on our hearts. It's a work of grace. As we put our faith in Jesus, he gives us new life. We use that language. He gives us a new heart. He changes us so that we can do this. It enables us to live a new life empowered from the inside. And so we hear these words as a call to obey. Jesus isn't 
doubt it. Jesus isn't setting that aside. It's a call to obey, but it's an obedience that comes not from ourself, but from the power of God living inside us. So when Jesus says, I have fulfilled it, he's saying, you don't have to do it on your own. I'm doing it for you and in you. As always, it comes back to that same message, the message of grace, of God working inside of us. Jesus calls us and empowers us to live as his faithful disciples. So we hear those words of Jesus. He isn't setting aside the least of those. We don't get to pick and choose what we do. We don't get to go through our Bible and cut out and say, no, not that one. Yes, I'll follow that one. No, not that one. But he calls us to follow each little stroke, each little letter, understanding that we follow it as Jesus interprets it. We follow it as Jesus explains it. We follow it as Jesus does it. And more importantly, and most importantly, we follow it as Jesus enables and empowers us to. Because none of us can do this on our own. We can't follow Jesus on our own. We can only follow it, him as he empowers us, as he writes it on our hearts. And so may we follow Jesus today as his faithful disciples living with new hearts. Amen.